You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Farm to Market eighteen sixty nine, I think it is, um, which is just an absolutely gorgeous vista of hills and box canyons, and go down through Marble Falls, cross the Colorado River, and uh, drive down to Johnson City. I'm going to hang a right and uh, go out to this road crossing that's in the book. We call it Carptopia on the Perdinalis River. And uh, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to check the flyberry project uh, that's uh, on the flood gauge there, see if anyone's left any good flies or if I need to leave a couple. And uh, I'm going to wait upstream, and I'm probably going to catch a couple of cichlids and maybe a couple of uh, Guadalupe bass right there in the first couple of pools. I'm going to start looking for carp and maybe some bigger bass as I move upstream. The cheese at the end of that wade is uh, an absolutely gorgeous uh, waterfall, low waterfall. Uh, And I may just sit there and listen to the water for a while. I'm going to walk back down and uh, get my car and my Jeep, and I'm going to turn around. I'm going to head back into Johnson City, and I'm probably going to take a right and go to Blanco, which is about 10 miles down the road. And uh, then I'm going to pull into Real L Brewing Company uh, to the tasting room. And I'm going to go up and uh, maybe have a gin and tonic or maybe see if my buddy Davin's there and uh, have a have a Swifty, uh, which is one of their beers there with Davin and show him my pictures from the day and say, man, you should have taken some time off and gone fishing with me. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. Get double the flies when you join their monthly fly club for a fun way to learn fly fishing and discover new flies each month. Just use the code DOUBLETHEFLIES at checkout or stock up on flies for your next trip and get free shipping on all orders of $15 or more. Go to www.theflycrate.com to adventure by the fly. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in this time around. We want to welcome to the program Aaron Reed. Now, Aaron is an author, Army veteran. He's out of Georgetown, Texas, founding member of the Texas Streams Coalition. Uh, Aaron worked with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and he's got a new book out that I think you want to take a look at. It's called Fly Fishing Austin and Central Texas. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we're going to uh, get into your book because I know we got lots to, lots of ground to cover, lots of water, probably better put to cover. Um, really enjoyed taking a peek at, at your book, and thanks uh, to Jane for, for passing it along. But first off, what I like to do at the beginning of the show, Aaron, is kind of get a feel for your uh, fly fishing history. How did you come to discover fly fishing and kind of walk us down, down that road a little bit? Um, I, I imagine that I first became aware of it uh, while I was out throwing plugs or soft plastics for redfish. And I saw some guy standing on the bow of a skiff, um, twirling around and using this ridiculously long and bendy rod. And um, I really didn't know what was happening. Uh, this this would have probably been back in the 80s or 90s. And uh, I, I just, I thought it looked interesting and a little bizarre. And I didn't know why anyone would go to so much work um, to catch redfish. So, uh, flats fishing on the central Texas coast, uh, really kind of took off, you know, in the last quarter of the last century. 
And um, that's probably where I became aware of it. I didn't pick it up until um, probably the late 90s, early 2000s. And at first it was just to kind of augment my uh, conventional fishing. I, you know, I figured I should try it. Um, but like a lot of people who start out and maybe especially people who start out with an eight weight in, uh, in a place where it routinely blows 15 to 20 miles per hour, you know, all day long, mm-hmm. um, I didn't have a lot of success. I had a colleague at Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. So this was probably around, um, I don't know, 2005, 2006, something like that, um, who was a, a certified casting instructor and, um, he took pity on me and gave me a lesson, a long lesson, extended lesson and, uh, taught me the basics. And I started catching fish on purpose. And, um, <laughs> I, I was still focused on saltwater, uh, even though I was living in Austin at the time. Um, and I was using ultralight spinning gear on the area rivers, uh, eventually. And well, that's not all I was doing. I was also chasing carp with a six weight. Um, and I thought of it as practice for redfish. I didn't know carp were supposed to be hard uh, to catch on the fly. And I caught a bunch of them. And, and now since I've been trying to do it and I target the fish, I, I catch a lot fewer. But um, They're it's, tough. Uh, they, they are tough. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're terrific fish. They're not a face only a mother could love but, uh, or a carp angler. But they, uh, they I mean, they pull so hard and they're, and they're so – you know, they're picky and they're, and they're so sensitive, you know, it's hard to sneak up on them. But the way we fish for them down here is we, you know, we, we stalk them in clear rivers and we're in flowing water and, um, it's, uh, kind of like flats fishing. I mean, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun, but so I did that. And, um, it wasn't until I realized I could downsize my tackle to match, match the majority of the fish in our rivers here, uh, that, uh, that, uh, I switched over to fly fishing full time and that was probably, uh, five or six years ago. So Aaron, if you had to name somebody or maybe a couple of people that have been big influences on the learning curve and kind of, uh, getting you started and figuring things out back in the day, who, who would you look to for, uh, influences? Well, I mean, some of the people that I've never met that I, I would have loved to have met, um, uh, Lefty Cray, uh, of course, um, especially his saltwater stuff. Um, people I have met and who were a great influence, uh, on me were the folks at TFO, uh, uh, Rick Pope and Jim Shulin and some of those guys. Um, they, uh, my first fly rod was a, a, a TFO rod and, uh, they're a Texas based company. So, um, and I think they do a great job there. Um, more recently, pretty much anyone who is mentioned or pictured in the book, um, has been uh, a huge influence on me. I learned something from every single person I fished with over the last uh, three years writing this book. And um, we have an incredibly friendly and welcoming and generous community uh, in Central Texas. And um, everyone was happy to share knowledge with me and um, to uh, very gently uh, make me a better fly angler. Fair enough. We'll get to the book in just a moment because I mentioned to ask you some questions about it for sure. I just want to get to to know you a little bit, uh, you know, in and around Austin, Texas, uh, Georgetown area. I got a few rapid fire questions for you, man. You ready? Sure. Okay. Um, favorite tunes on the way to the water, Aaron. What What do you like to listen to? Um, I like to listen to uh, my wife calls it downer music, but uh, uh, it's I, I like to listen to a lot of singer songwriter stuff. Um, uh, lyrics are important to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, fortunately we just have a, 
a ton of talented artists in the Austin area uh, and, um, and and beyond. Um, one of my good friends who uh, also uh, produces a podcast, uh, Jeff Troutman, his real name, um, he's in Michigan, uh, but he uh, he put out a little EP um, a couple of years ago called uh, Songs About Fly Fishing. And um, it's just terrific music, and it usually fits what I'm doing. Uh, another guy here in town, John D. Graham, uh, is a, a just a stalwart of the Austin music scene and great songwriter. Um, and then uh, Greg Brown, also from Michigan, his uh, his song Eugene uh, is one that I listen to and and laugh about and think about uh, almost on a daily basis. Um, so just. Uh, just lots of great singer songwriter stuff uh, for the most part. Um, sometimes I, I feel a little more uh, energetic and want to listen to something a little more upbeat or, or raucous or, mm-hmm. you know, might be a little Stevie Ray Vaughan or sure. uh, something like that. Well, you're, you're definitely in, uh, in one of the top music cities in, in the continent. So that's, you got lots of options there for sure. You bet. Let's talk about your favorite place to talk fly fishing is there a coffee shop a fly shop or maybe a a, a bar watering hole in, in your neck of the woods that you like to uh, kind of get your fix on fly fishing oh there are a ton of them and um uh i would say my local uh is a place called mesquite creek outfitters uh here in georgetown and um uh, mesquite creek uh uh, put together kind of a unique thing in an old Victorian, uh, building on the square here, beautiful old building. Uh, they sell things, uh, they sell clothing from Patagonia and Howler and, and, uh, sea level and some other outdoor brands and, um, uh, all sorts of, you know, handmade soap, uh, that's made locally, uh, by another friend of ours, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff like that. For a long time, they had, uh, just a little bit of fly fishing stuff in there, and it was um, just enough to get you back on the water if you, uh, you know, if you needed some tippet or a few flies or something. Um, and and that was a, a conscious decision not to compete with the full service fly shop just down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also serve sixteen craft beers that are all local beers and a wide selection of wines, uh, mostly Texas wines. And um, yeah, so that's probably my favorite place to sit. Um, it's kid friendly. Uh, we can take the kids in there and, you know, they'll sit and play go fish or board games or something, uh, while we have a beer with our friends. So that, that sounds all right. Yeah. One go-to fly pattern you can't live without. Definitely. Um, definitely Matt Bennett's carpet bomb. Um, uh, this is a, a fly that he developed for carp. Uh, and, uh, it's a, it's a kind of a large beadhead nymph, um, but it, it does a very good imitation of a crawfish. It also does a very good imitation of a large dragonfly nymph, depending on what size you uh, tie it in or throw it in. And um, so uh, you're, you're, you're not quite sure what it is, but the fish love it. And um, I've caught carp on it, but I've caught many, many more bass, uh, sunfish, drum, even gar, uh, even redfish uh, on this fly. So if I had just one fly, it would be an olive carpet bomb probably in a size six or eight okay let's let's um switch gears into sports so in in your area um you got lots to to choose from we talk are you a cowboys fan texans longhorns mavericks where do you get your fix in sports (laughs) i really don't uh i i'm not a big uh i'm not a big 
uh, team sports guy. Um, I, one of my kids is, and it's funny, he was watching the NFL draft the other night and he said, uh, he said, you know, I'd, he, he wanted to talk to me about it. I said, buddy, we're going to have to call uncle Danny. Uh, my best friend lives in Houston now. And, uh, uh, I said, you can talk sports with Uncle Danny. Daddy doesn't have much to say about it. Um, I, I was a big baseball fan. Uh, the Astros are dead to me right now uh, after this whole unnecessary, uh, right. you know, sign-stealing thing. And, and I know other teams have done it too. But, you know, I just really looked up to those guys. And, and they were role models for my kids. And it's hard to uh, hard to explain to them what happens. So um, I was a baseball fan. We have a <clears> – <throat> we have the – the Astros triple A affiliate here and, um, their double A affiliate is in Corpus Christi where I work and where I grew up. So, uh, you know, they've always been a big, uh, a big staple for our family. What would you say, Aaron, the biggest lesson that you've learned on your fly fishing journey? If you had to kind of pick, pick one, um, how would you sum it up? I know that's a big question, but like a lot of times people say they've just learned to be patient. They've learned to kind of uh, that stick with it kind of attitude, uh, maybe some appreciating the details more. Is there anything that it's really brought to your life that, that maybe wasn't there as much before? Yeah, I'd, I'd say two things, maybe, um, one slow down. Mm. Um, it's, uh, uh, there is nothing in fly fishing that is helped by hurrying. Um, except maybe beating some other people to the water. I don't, I mean, it's not a problem we have down here, but I know it is some places. Um, and, um, yeah, just slow down. I mean, that, that would be the first thing. Uh, take your time. Don't get in a hurry. And, um, and the second thing, and I guess this is sort of related is that, um, that really, uh, the process is, is important as the, as the prize or as the end result. And that, and, and we know this from fly fishing, right? That, I mean, we could, you know, some of us go outside and just lawn cast just to try to perfect a, a particular cast or something or, or whatever. But, um, at the end of the day on the water, I often find that I, I can't even remember if I caught fish or it, it doesn't really matter if I caught fish. Uh, I just walk out of the river feeling, feeling more at ease, uh, refreshed and, um, you know, had a great time. When you're not fly fishing, you're usually up to what? Oh, writing about fly fishing, thinking about fly fishing, tying flies. Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm usually doing things with the kids, um, which uh, you may or may not revolve around that. Um, so, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, right now we're homeschooling uh, because of uh, the COVID nineteen uh, uh, pandemic. So that takes up some time, and uh, I'm home half the year. So uh, everything that everything that I uh, need to get done i have to get done in in just six months out of the year well that's one thing i think about this uh the covid19 is is it does free up a little time for some people to maybe do a little reading Uh, i'd like to transition into your book uh fly fishing austin and central texas tell us first off what made you write the book kind of when did you get the idea and how did it come to you And, and walk us down that journey a little bit you know i was um we had just moved up to Georgetown from uh, from Austin proper, and uh, I was exploring some of the streams up here. Uh, we have three forks of the San Gabriel River in town. We have uh, Berry Creek. Brushy Creek is just south of us. The Olympasses is just north of us. And so within about 30 to 40 minutes, I had 
uh, you know, five uh, really interesting streams. So uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. The local uh, FFI club had, uh, Fly Fishing International Club, had, had some spots up on their website. But um, I thought there must be more. So uh, I pulled out my Roads of Texas and my, um, uh, you know, trusty laptop with Google Earth and started looking at road crossings, which is the primary way that we um, that we access public water in Texas and uh, just started exploring. And I started putting up some little route maps and, and trip reports on uh, the ultralight fly fishing forum and um, to a lesser degree, the fiberglass fly rotters forum. And uh, um, about that time, uh, a guy I, I used to write for, uh, he had a website or he has a website called roadtripamerica.com. Um, I, uh, he contacted me about a new series of books that they were putting out, um, uh, the base camp hiking guide, hiking guides. And they were, um, the kind of the premise behind those books was you could stay in a place like Las Vegas and then here are 101 hikes you can go do outside of town as a day trip hmm. and still come back, enjoy the city. And they've since released uh, base camp Denver and they're more in the pipeline, but um, he asked me if I'd write a blurb for it or do a review. And he said, by the way, we're always looking for new titles. And I said, Hey, how about fly fishing Austin? And, uh, and he said, Oh, tell me more. Well, three weeks later I had an outline, uh, a couple of sample chapters and, and, and a contract. So, um, that's how that happened. And I, I guess that's not how it happens for most people. Uh, so I was, I was fortunate. I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Let's start at the beginning here. So, I mean, the, the one thing I would say after uh, reading through your your book, I mean, I've I've never been to Austin, Texas. First off, and I have not uh, fly fished any of your waters. But I, I I'm left with the feeling that if I were to, and I had this, at least I'd have an idea what to expect, where to go, and maybe what to use. I think you the basically you really detailed yeah 49 detailed on water route descriptions right i mean it's very specific what i find with a lot of fly fishing books is they're not really that specific you know they're kind of generalities but if you want to fly fish in central texas uh, i think that's a pretty good place to start well thanks yeah that's that makes me feel good because that's exactly what it's intended to do it's and and you know we were looking beyond just the the austin fly fishing community or the people who may become part you know who are local and who may become part of that community uh, certainly interested in in helping those folks out and for this to be useful to them but we were also uh really interested in uh number one breaking down barriers for new fly fishermen for for new anglers and mm. and trying to demystify the sport a little bit and um and make it easy for people to to join our ranks. Um, and and the second part of that was that uh, we know that we know that we get uh, you know hundreds of thousands of visitors every year who come to Austin for business, or they come uh, for uh, South by Southwest, or you know either the technology uh, festival or the music festival or the film festival, or they come to Austin City Limits Live. Uh, Austin City Limits Festival. So we have all these people coming in, and a lot of them are coming from places that have pretty established fly fishing scenes. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if uh, they could? I mean, it's nothing to pack a fly rod and a reel, um, and uh, you know, if they carried on a fly rod and reel, and and um, then could pick up this book, and you know, boom, here are four places you could go, uh, you know, between sessions or you know, between shows or or whatever. 
uh, and you can walk to them or you can catch an Uber or a Lyft or, or a taxi, whatever. Um, but they're mm-hmm. all right here. If, so what's your favorite species to target? If you, if you could name one or two, like what, what's your go-to if you were to pick a species that uh, say, hey, Austin is known for this. You, you got to come down here and do this. Uh, where would you start? Um, Guadalupe bass, I think, uh, it's our, it's our endemic, uh, uh, riverine bass. Uh, it's in the, uh, kind of, kind of in the, uh, red eye bass complex species complex there, you know, there've been all these riverine basses that have been discovered across the Southeastern United States, uh, in recent years. I think they're up to like 23 species now or something, but, um, it, it doesn't, get really big. Um, but it's very trout like in its behavior. It's a riffle loving fish. Hmm. Uh, it eats insects both as a, as a juvenile fish. And then it becomes a little more, a little more, um, piscivorous and more, uh, eats more like a, a smallmouth. maybe eats more crawfish and frogs and those sorts of things. And then, um, as a, as a very mature fish, as an older fish, it may return to insects again. Um, and it's a very strikingly patterned, uh, black bass, uh, and this, this part of Texas is the only place in the world you can catch them. Uh, mm. so, um, and, and they don't get huge. I think the world record is like 18 inches, 3.8 pounds, something like that. Um, but, uh, but they're just a ton of fun on light tackle. Um, they're sporty. They seem to pull harder than a, a large mouth bass or a small mouth bass of the same size. Really? That's it. You got my attention at that because of small, it always amazes me how hard a smallie pulls. Yeah, uh, largemouth bass. I don't know. Like I, I, I guess I missed that memo. I, I enjoy catching them. Don't get me wrong, but they're done and <laughs> you know right yeah. away for the most part. Unless you're talking huge, but those smallies can sure take it. And you're saying these bass fight uh, as good as, if not better than a smallmouth. That's uh, you yeah, get my attention. Yeah, I would think they're very similar, and and I think a lot of it has to do the with the habitat they're adapted to. Right, these flowing streams, and uh, bass bass. Uh, and we have and we have native bass in the rivers as well, largemouth bass, and you know they're fine, um, and they get larger than the uh, than the Guadalupe bass. But uh, and listen, I won't turn one down. Uh, and I've had some great runs and jumps, you know, from these largemouth bass. But pound for pound, I think the Guadalupe bass is a stronger fighter, and um, cer- certainly probably on par, uh, if not better, than a smallmouth. What is it that makes fishing Central Texas so special in in your opinion? If you could sum it up, is it is it some of the spring the spring waters that you have? I mean, I'm sure those fish are pretty much growing year round too, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's a, it's a year round fishery. I mean, it does slow down a little bit in the winter time, um, but we have plenty of warm days in the winter between cold fronts, and uh, during those um, you know during those little warm spells. Uh, the fish that you haven't seen for a while because they've been hunkered down under under a rock or around a spring uh, somewhere, um, they they come out and get active. And um, in the native northern largemouth, they will eat you know all the way down to a water temperature of about forty degrees, which we don't see very often, but sometimes. Um, and of course, we have our our trout fishery uh, on the Guadalupe River in the winter time that a lot of us uh, kind of switch our focus to as well. But, um, so the fact that it's year round, but I think it's the unexpectedness of it. Um, I think, um, I think there are a lot of people who live here who don't realize, uh, what incredible spring creeks and freestone rivers we have that run 
very near or right through, uh, right through town. And, um, uh, we're seeing more and more recreation along the streams, uh, in, in the form of hike and bike trails and, and things like that, which is great because it opens up more access for anglers. Um, uh, but, um, mm-hmm. I think just recently, uh, you know, maybe in the last 10 years or so, we're seeing more and more people turn to fishing these warm water, uh, streams and, uh, and they're just gorgeous. I mean, just, there's just astounding beauty just out of sight of the road a lot of times. How far, if you're in Austin, how far do you have to drive before you can start enjoying some of these opportunities? Oh, gosh. I, I would say you wouldn't have to drive more than 10 or 15 minutes, no matter where you are in Austin. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I that's mean, all right. you, you can bike it or, 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 or take your, uh, you know, or walk it. I went down to meet some friends here in Georgetown uh, on one of our, our lesser fished uh, streams. And um, I... I think it took me seven minutes to get there, and um, <laughs> that's right. and that's and that's because I had to wait at a stoplight. So <laughs> we're chatting tonight with Aaron Reed, author of Fly Fishing Austin and Central Texas. Uh, Aaron's a former Army veteran, uh, also a tugboat captain. We haven't got into that yet. I, uh, I will definitely swing back, and uh, I got a few questions for you about that. But w- one question that did stick with me uh, when you wrote the book. You mentioned already that you kind of wanted to um, touch on some of the barriers there are to the sport, because I know that's something you and I, ha- I think have a lot in common uh, with this show. I want to make, I mean, I think most people want to make fly fishing accessible, because somehow there's been a, a bit of an undercurrent, I think, in, in the past of it's not it's not that easy to do, and it takes a lot of money, and the truth is it doesn't. It, it, what it takes is a tiny bit of knowledge and somebody to kind of show you the way, and I think... Um, you did a nice job with this book of kind of cutting through that. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree hundred percent. And I've heard that, I've heard that theme in, in some of your previous interviews as well. And, um, I, you know, I think the, I think the whole elitist, uh, you know, kind of snobby, tweety, whatever, uh, you know, attitude or, or reputation, uh, I think that's kind of dying. Uh, you know, we have a whole new generation of, people coming up fly fishing now, um, much younger than me who are, uh, I mean, they, they're out there freestyling, you know, it's, they're doing it their own way. And, um, it's not that they don't, they're not interested in what other people have done before them, but I mean, they're going fishing, you know, what, what, you know, with or without help. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a great thing. I mean, I, I love it. There's a lot of diversity in the sport now. And, um, I, I love to see that, but I still run into people who, who say, oh, I, you know, that's too hard or I can't afford it or, or whatever. And, and that's not really true anymore either. Tell us a little bit about how, when you started writing the book, something I did notice in your press release that it kind of caught my attention is because I, I would imagine when you start out on this journey, you know, the time passes and you realize, well, maybe it's going a little direct, different direction than I thought. And I know, I know you touched on conservation, and how important that all of a sudden became once you kind of got into the meat and potatoes of the book. Yeah, I was, I was real worried actually. Uh, This is my, I've done quite a bit of magazine writing, but this is my first book. And, um, the book that we ended up with only, uh, bears only a passing resemblance to the outline I sent my, uh, publisher at the very beginning of the process. Um, 
we had ponds, lakes, and quarries uh, as part of the outline. We have a lot of those in the area too, and they're fine, um, fine spots to go fishing. Um, it just turned out there was so much moving water, we didn't have room to include them. Um, you're exactly right. As I wrote the book, uh, it became more and more clear to me that um, really it's quite, it was quite possible that what I was writing was a snapshot in time of something that we will lose forever. And uh, we're experiencing tremendous uh, growth in the Austin area. Um, and uh, I think, well, at least before the pandemic, I think we were we had something like 189 people a day moving here. Um, and um, a lot of the old heritage ranches uh, that uh, that about these streams um, have uh, been inherited by, you know, the fourth or fifth or sixth generation who are now city dwellers and have no interest in raising cattle or farming. And um, they have a lot of interest in, and rightfully so, I, I completely understand, in selling these large tracts of land for millions and millions of dollars to be subdivided uh, into um, home sites. That adds impervious cover and it adds fertilizer and construction mess and and destroys riparian habitat um, and those places also use a lot more water and create a lot more wastewater uh, than than we've had before so um, we have all sorts of challenges which are not unique to austin but um, which are certainly very acute here right now uh, in managing um managing some of this uh, growth uh, as it pertains to our streams. So as I wrote the book, it became really clear that uh, we really need to wake up and pay attention, all of us, and um, do whatever we can to uh, be advocates for the water and for the value of, of these streams uh, as streams, just just as what they are, not as not as an amenity to a golf course or a, uh, you know, a commodity, but um, just just for what they are. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. A snapshot in time is, is those things are critical though, right? I mean, like if you didn't start that process, it wouldn't kind of put that seed in the brain and say, hey, we got to protect this a little more maybe. And because you, I mean, let's face it, the, the population is growing, but I think what you're talking about in the book, you talk about so many different species of fish. It allows us to kind of diversify as fly fishers out there because we haven't even talked about panfish, but I know... You've got all all types of species. Maybe touch on some of the other fish that you're targeting in uh, Central Texas. Yeah, one of uh, one of my favorite fish here, and, and something a lot of people get excited about, and they come from all over uh, the region, actually, and you know even from adjoining states to fish for is the Rio Grande cichlid. Uh, and uh, one of my friends, uh, Odom Wu in San Antonio, he he describes holding a cichlid as as holding the Milky Way in your hands. And uh, these fish are spangled with these uh, kind of awkward teal-colored dots, you know, speckles. And um, in the breeding season, the males get these big, uh, humpy foreheads, and um, they're uh, they're they're just super interesting fish. They're they're the only cichlid uh, that is native to the United States, um, and they're actually not native to Central Texas. They're native to South Texas, but they were. Uh, transplanted up here by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service back in the 1920s. And uh, they survive, even though they're a a subtropical species, they survive because of uh, the constant spring flow in some of these rivers where 
the water comes out of the ground at, uh, you know, around 72 degrees. And, um, and that's just warm enough to keep them going all winter long. Uh, we don't see a lot of them during the winter or they, they disappear. Uh, they go huddle around spring somewhere, but, um, but they're a lot of fun and, and they're really game fighters too. They're, uh, they use that broad body, uh, to, uh, to their advantage and in current and on a, on a three weight rod, they're just a ton of fun. Um, we have a number of other, uh, native species, the long ear sunfish. Uh, I went out and caught some today and, um, they're just, they're just living jewels. They're every bit as pretty as a brook trout and, uh, or, or, a, or a cutthroat trout. They're, um, just gorgeous, uh, blues and ruby reds and oranges and, um, and they're fearless. And I, if they grew to five pounds, I probably wouldn't step in the water because they're so aggressive. <laughs> uh, thankfully they don't. Well, well, I, just talking about the cichlids a minute ago, though, anybody that's ever had an aquarium and that's had cichlids, they know how aggressive they can be. Absolutely. I mean, they're fierce, those things. What, what type of flies are you throwing for these bantfish? Um, we throw a lot of, uh, nymph patterns. Um, I, I actually had, uh, I actually had some long ears and some red breast sunfish, uh, uh, try to eat a, a small mouse today. Um, wow. and they kept missing. So I, I switched. That's ambitious. It is. Uh, they get it sometimes the green sunfish have a little bit larger mouth and, uh, they're more successful usually. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I switched over to a, a, a fly that uh, is a local creation. Uh, one of our fly shop owners, Chris Johnson, owns uh, or is a uh, Umqua uh, signature tire, our signature designer. And uh, one of his creations is, well, we, we're now referring to it as the fly formerly known as the Mardi Craw because I think he found out somebody else had that name <laughs> and he's changed it. But in the book, it's the Mardi Craw. And um, it's just a tiny little... Uh, very, uh, impressionistic crawfish with a, a little bead, uh, bead head on a jig hook. And it's got possum fur, which just gives it this insane movement in the water. And, um, oh. they, they liked that a lot today. Um, Matt Bennett, another local tire uh, that I mentioned earlier, he makes a little fly called the Rio getter that was specifically designed for, to catch Rio's because Rio Grande cichlids, because they're, uh, very picky fish. Um, so, um, damsel nymphs work really well, um, and dry flies work really well. Uh, we have caddis hatches, trico hatches, BWO hatches on the rivers, and uh, some mornings or evenings you'll get out there and you'll just see rings all over the river, and it's the sunfish rising to these uh, mayflies or caddis. There's something exciting, too, when you're throwing a pattern and you're not really sure the species that's going to end up on the end of your line. I, I kind of love that, actually. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I don't know how, how often this happens in your rivers uh, up in B.C., but, um, you know, I know in the western states uh, where a lot of us Texans go to fish, you know, in Colorado, New Mexico, um, a lot of the streams there are, are really uh, salmonid monocultures. I mean, the only thing you're going to catch is trout. And you may catch one native species and two introduced species or something, but that's mm-hmm. the only thing that's in there. Um, in our streams, uh, there's no telling. <laughs> you know, there's a, a an easy half dozen, maybe a dozen species that you that could end up on the end of your line. Right. There's a, a lake uh, very close to where I'm at, and and a lot of times you don't know if you're going to catch a trout, uh, a landlocked uh, kokanee. 
uh, a sunfish, uh, a perch, uh, a carp. Uh, you know, it's like you just don't know. And it, it, for me, that's always kind of exciting. But um, I think that speaks to the, the nice thing about that is it kind of spreads spreads the water a little bit too because you know you get those for me smaller pretty fish sometimes are underrated you know when you're talking about those cichlids that look as pretty as like a, a brook trout or some of those fish you're talking about i mean that it's pretty memorable yeah it really is and and uh, you know and that's uh again i guess it goes back to my answer to your earlier question that a lot of times it's the process more than the prize and um mm you know, just to hold one of those fish. And, and, you know, I have lots of friends who live in other parts of the country who feel the same way, whether it's a, a Rio Grande cutthroat up in the high country of New Mexico or, or Colorado or, um, uh, uh, a Southern Appalachian brook trout, you know, in Virginia or, or, or North Carolina. Um, so, you know, you're in these headwater streams and the fish, you know, a really big one might be 12 inches, but they are just gloriously, uh, patterned and colored up and um what a privilege to be able to just hold that in your hand for a moment when you put together the book um aside from all the writing there's a lot of good photography in this and i'm curious did you do most of that did you outsource it um speak to the uh the pics in the book yeah so the i think we i think we went down the um uh there are a little over 300 photos in the book and, um, and I appreciate the kind words, um, from about 6,000, uh, images to start with. And, uh, I found gaps, uh, as we did that, uh, not least because I lost an external hard drive, uh, towards the end of this and had a lot of images on it. But, um, so, uh, we had a professional photographer, a good friend of mine, Eric Schlegel did the, the front cover and the author photo. And then we have some other photos inside, for instance, the photo of Barton Springs and uh, Lady Bird Lake. I didn't have an Im- image I was happy with, and uh, my buddy Odom Wu uh, did and graciously allowed us to use those. Uh, and then uh, Meryl Robinson, another friend of mine who lives in New York now, um, she came along on a lot of our fishing trips with her camera and uh, took some photos. So probably about 50 or 60 of the photos in the books are by, are by other people, but um, the rest are, uh, honestly, mostly off my cell phone. Well, you must've done a whole heck of a lot of research as far as, uh, in other words, a lot of fishing to get some of these picks. That's, that, that speaks for a few trips right there. Well, uh, you know, um, megabytes are cheap, right? Uh, uh, if you, uh, <laughs> you're probably old enough to remember when we shot with film and, uh, oh, yeah. we had to, we had to pay, especially when we were shooting transparencies for magazines, we had to be real, uh, choosy about picking our shots and uh we don't have to do that anymore thankfully what uh, what's the biggest difference in in your mind between writing a book sitting down and committing to that process and doing a magazine article for a fly fishing publication yeah good question um so when i started this i thought okay well this is just like i because it seems overwhelming when you're you're staring staring at uh, white space that you are supposed to fill up with eighty thousand words and, um, I, it was scary. And so I told myself, I said, okay, well, this is like writing 40 feature articles or, you know, something like that. Um, and, and it wasn't exactly like that, uh, for sure. But, uh, uh there were times when I wanted to give up. I'll tell you that I'll, I'll be honest. Um, and, uh, there are times when it felt like work and, uh, 
there are times when my wife told me that I couldn't give up and I had to keep going. And, um, (laughs) there are times when my wife told me I should get up off my butt and go fishing, which was, that was a nice change. Uh, is that the writer's block uh, thing? Just just get out there and go fish. Well, both that and uh, you know, I've got another, I've got another river. I've got, uh, I have to go scout and and uh, right. take notes on. You know, so research. Yeah, research. That's it. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience, and um, uh, you know, and I'm glad I I'm glad I did it. I'm really glad I did it, and um, happy uh happy to have completed the project there were times when i didn't think i would um but uh you know i'm happy with the book i mean you can always look back and and say gosh i wish i'd done this differently or that differently or included this or included that um one thing i'm really uh i i reproach myself for is that i did not include a chapter on tinkara um i wish i had and if i have an opportunity to do a second edition i think that will definitely be in there interesting yeah, no, it's, uh, I can, I, I can't imagine actually how much work it is. Like, it's one thing to put thoughts down. It's another thing to edit them. It's another thing to, to, you know, find the right pictures and, and, and kudos to you, Aaron, you've done a, a heck of a job with this book, Fly Fishing Austin in, in Central Texas. I know you, you mentioned off air before we really got going with the interview that, uh, originally it was slated to be released May 1, but, um, people are getting a sneak peek right now, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We, um, so what happens, uh, I think, a lot of times Amazon will, will ship a little bit early to, um, to, so people have the book in their hands on the release date. And, um, in practice, that means that oftentimes they'll have it ahead of the release date. So, uh, there are a couple of local fly shops that due to the pandemic have, you know, were forced to close or at least close to customers coming in. And, um, so we were able to make a deal where they could get them out, uh, to customers this week. Um, uh, just ahead of the release date, you know, either mail out or curbside pickup. And, um, as a, as an added sweetener, I went in and signed books, uh, at those shops and so that people could have signed copies. Um, nice. of course, I mean, we had a whole publicity tour, uh, planned and, uh, all, you know, events going, going into the summer or all the way up to IFTD in Denver actually. And, uh, all of that's been canceled now. So, um, we're just, uh, doing what we can. Well, yeah, I guess it just means more podcasts and more interviews and 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 more writing and and talking about the book because you've done a great job with it. I want to thank you so much for taking the time um, for joining us. Is there anything uh, you want to touch on, Aaron, bef- before we let you go that maybe we haven't covered? Uh, well, actually, you know, one thing I I do want to know is is where can we find you on Instagram? Throw all your social media handles out there. Is there uh, somewhere we can go to see your fishing pics? Yeah, absolutely. What you're up to? Absolutely. Instagram's uh, 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 Texas Aaron, at Texas Aaron. And um, Facebook is Aaron Ramon. And my website is bluecollarflyfishing.com. Perfect. And where can we get our hands on the book then? Is is it Amazon kind of the go-to or what's what's the most direct route? Um, my preference is that you would call one of our local fly shops, uh, living waters, uh, fly fishing, uh, in round rock. You can, they'll pop right up on Google and they'll be happy to mail a copy to you. Um, real fly, uh, realfly.com down in, um, uh, Canyon Lake and, uh, sportsman's finest. will have the book soon there in, uh, South Austin as well. And, uh, or, or your local fly shop, uh, you know, uh, the book is available to anyone through uh, their regular distribution chains. Um, it's also available at Barnes and Noble and um, BNN.com and 
Amazon.com and I think 50 other online retailers. We never talked about your day job. It just kind of hit me. Huh. And I'm <laughs> I'm curious, what do you do for a day job? I drive a tugboat, a harbor tug. Uh, so uh, we're the guys who uh, who push the ships to the dock and pull them off and spin them around and and uh, do all that sort of thing. And, and what is now the third busiest port in the, in the United States, uh, the Port of Corpus Christi. So wow. um, that's the day job. Uh, I, I work seven days, uh, seven days on, seven days off. How long have you been doing that? Um, I've been I've been working uh, as a mariner for uh, about the last 10 years. Um, I've been working on harbor tugs specifically. Before that, I worked offshore um, for um, uh, almost five years now. Um, and and we do fish off the boat. Uh, I was I was going to ask that, but I thought oh, I better not go. Yeah, there. no, it's okay. <laughs> we actually, we, I mean, it's actually uh, company policy that we can if we're not, you know, supposed to be doing something else. Um, but uh, I, I will tell you that a uh, that a 100 foot long harbor tug that draws 16 feet is a lousy fly fishing skiff. <laughs> um, but if we are fortunate enough to, uh, be at dock around some, some lights, uh, oftentimes we can find spotted sea trout and, uh, redfish under the lights. Uh, there's also a little Creek that runs into the uh, Harbor next to our dock, uh, where our office is that, uh, frequently has redfish drum, uh, mangrove snapper, and sometimes, uh, snook and tarpon as well. So, uh, wow. there are a whole bunch of us down there who, uh, who bring a long rod to work. You're you're painting a pr- a pretty picture. Uh, you, you know, there's one question one question I didn't ask you that I that I always like to ask my guests, and and I hope you can. I know you can do this. Paint a picture of your perfect day. So if I don't know exactly where that is, if it's in the Austin area or uh, Georgetown, what does it look like? When does it start in the morning? Kind of what are you what are you targeting? What kind of waters you fishing? Kind of paint us a little picture if you don't mind. All right, I'm closing my eyes to do this here. Um, so uh, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to get up at maybe, uh, I don't know, 6 o'clock or something. It's, it's summertime. Uh, oh, maybe it's the fall. Fall would be better. And um, I'm going to drive uh, I'm going to drive south uh, from where I am in Georgetown. Um, I'm going to drive west and south through the Balcones National Wildlife Refuge, farm to market 1869, I think it is, um, which is just an absolutely gorgeous vista of hills and box canyons and um, uh, go down through Marble Falls, cross the Colorado River, and uh, drive down to Johnson City. I'm going to hang a right and uh, go out to this road crossing that's in the book. We call it Carptopia and uh, <laughs> on the Perdinalis River. And uh, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to check the flyberry project uh, that's uh, on the flood gauge there see if anyone's left any good flies or if I need to leave a couple. And uh, I'm going to wait upstream, and I'm probably going to catch a couple of cichlids and maybe a couple of uh, Guadalupe bass right there in the first couple of pools. I'm going to start looking for carp um, and, uh, and maybe some bigger bass as I move upstream. Um, the, the cheese at the end of that wade is uh, an absolutely gorgeous uh, waterfall, low waterfall, uh, and I may just sit there and listen to the water for a while. I'm going to walk back down and uh, get my car and my Jeep, and I'm going to turn around. I'm going to head back into Johnson City, and I'm probably going to take a right and go to Blanco, which is about 10 miles down the road. 
uh, it looks, it should be pronounced Blanco. We pronounce it Blanco. And, um, and, uh, then I'm going to pull into real L, uh, brewing company, uh, to the tasting room. And I'm going to go up and, uh, maybe have a gin and tonic or maybe see if my buddy Davin's there and, uh, have a, have a Swifty, uh, which is one of their beers there with Davin and show him my pictures from the day and say, man, you should have taken some time off and gone fishing with me. Uh, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's per- a that's pretty a good picture. Day. Yeah. You, you got to say hi to Davin for us. Uh, he was going to come on the podcast earlier and, uh, we're trying, we're still trying to make that happen, but I hear he makes some pretty darn good whiskey. He makes some fantastic whiskey, uh, and gin too. But, uh, yeah, his, uh, hmm. he has a new double barreled, uh, malt whiskey out that is phenomenal. What do you, you got to tell me what the library project is? What's, what's that all about? Um, this is a, this is a, a project, uh, it's hashtag library project on Instagram and, um, some folks out of Florida. Um, uh, I, I think it's the, the Taylor trash guys, uh, their podcast and website, uh, or associated with them anyway, uh, Larry Luttrell and some other folks. And, uh, mm-hmm. some of those guys are, uh, they do C deck, which is a, um, super strong three, I think it's a three M product, but, uh, it's kind of a weather resistant, soft flooring that goes on boats. And so they've, they've actually, uh, printed and cut out some square pieces that say library project, um, have a fly, leave a fly, need a fly, take a fly. And hmm. people are just putting these up. Uh, all over the place, you know, from boat ramps in the Keys to uh, National Park Service uh, uh, <laughs> structures in the mountains to uh, bridge abutments. Um, and uh, it's, it's just a neat thing. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. a, a way for people to to uh, support the community. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I got to look into that. I, I can't believe I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Aaron, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I wish you a, a great season on the water, uh, a real super successful release of this book, and I'd sure love to have you on to chat fly fishing again sometime. Hey, Mark, I really, really appreciate it, and uh, and I uh, hope you guys have a great season up there. I hope you hope you get to make some time to get out on the water. Cheers. You've been listening tonight, a chat with Aaron Reed, author, Army veteran, Uh, tugboat uh, captain in the Texas Gulf Coast. His latest book is called Fly Fishing Austin in Central Texas. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.